is this something that we need to deal with? Is this a word for me? Do I have a, an outward practice of my religion, but inwardly I'm dying, Lord? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopart.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. All right, so Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So these ones are physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. And so this is really where Jesus is going. Even though you seem to be alive, we're going to see from the backdrop here of the, uh, the background um, information I'm going to share with you on this city, they're a rich church. They're a well-to-do church. Matter of fact, it's kind of a place where the first coinage was, was minted there, right there in Sardis. And so they're very acquainted with money, and they're very acquainted with luxury and a good life. And so they have a church, perhaps they have a very ornate church, a very um, expensive-looking church, perhaps they have all these programs, right, all these different things, but he's saying that you're dying. You're dying spiritually. Not dying physically, but dying spiritually. And what he underscores is that he reveals himself as what? One who has the seven spirits of God. And so I want you to note that, that what gives life is the Holy Spirit, not what we own, right? Not how big our church is, not how ornate our church is. Really what gives us life is the Spirit of God. So I want to underscore that, okay? So before we get into that, though, I want to give you some backdrop on Sardis because it really does have to do how Jesus reveals himself as one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. It's because Sardis... In that day, as I mentioned, it's a very rich city, but it was a very fortified city. It was built right there on a cliff, and it was very difficult for an enemy to get in and to attack them because they had this natural barrier of a being built on a cliff. Of commentary from Barclay and also Walvert and some David Guzik, you know, you're going to note this, that, that that city was very safe naturally. It was built on a cliff, but they were taken down twice, once by... Cyrus, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, and then after the Medo-Persian Empire under the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great took them, overtook them as well. And so um, their natural defense wasn't enough. And the reason is that if they fell asleep, 
is basically they weren't watchful. And I want you to notice verse 2, it says, be watchful. Okay, so a lot of the way the Lord reveals himself to each specific church has to do with um, uh, what they're dealing with personally. Okay, so with that, I want to give you some background information on this church in Sardis, okay? This is from, um, from Barclay, right? A lot of this commentary says, At the time Jesus spoke these words to John, the ancient city of Sardis had seen its best days and had started to decline. Yet it was a wealthy city. I want you to know that. Very wealthy, okay? Very rich. It seemed like it was alive because it was rich, but it wasn't. So it was a very wealthy city, being situated at the junction of several important roads and trade routes. The connection between Sardis and money made it receive the name coined Easy Money. It was a city of easy money, and it was well known in the ancient world. Can you imagine going to a city called Easy Money? A lot of people go to that, that city, right? So this is what it was known for. Now, notice this. It is of interest to know, and this is from Barclay, that the first coinage ever to be minted in Asia Minor was minted in Sardis in the days of Croesus. These roughly formed um, electrum starters were the beginning of money in the modern sense of the term. Sardis was the place where modern money was born. Can you imagine that? And this was the place where this church Sardis was. And so it was very rich, very well-to-do. Now, which, what comes with being rich? Well, a uh, very, very... Very um, luxurious life. A very luxurious life because a lot of money. And, you know, I started to think about this. You know, when you travel to these places that people spend a lot of money, I, you know, in my mindset, I think of like a place like Hawaii, right? People go to Hawaii for vacation. They go to the tourist areas, right? They go to maybe, I don't know, they go to Maui or they go to these um, different places, right? And, and it's a very luxurious life. They spend a lot of money, right? They're at the beach. They're relaxing. That was kind of the life in Sardis, when you think about it. You know, it's because where there's money, right, there's luxury. Money and luxury is a simple kind of a very um, extravagant type of life. This is what was Sardis, okay? And also they had um, worship of idols. Uh, the, the goddess uh, Sibella was there. From the ruins of that temple, we can see that its main columns were 60 feet high and more than 6 feet in diameter. So they had these big old, big old monuments to these uh, deities, right, and, and many worship them, right? So it's a very immoral place, very rich place. Now, Barclay goes on to write, he says, the combination of easy money and the loose moral environment made the people of Sardis notoriously soft and pleasure-loving. Sound familiar? That sounds like Hollywood to me, right? <laughs> Luxurious and pleasure-loving. And, you know, I think about Hollywood, it's not too far from here, right? And so oftentimes, you know, those things flow into the church. We think, well, you know, the Lord really owes me, right, a luxurious and a pleasure-loving life, right? And so that was kind of the state of Sardis. And so even though it looked good on the outside, perhaps they had all these Bibles, all these kind of Bible programs, and they're carrying their Bibles, and they had all these different uh, worship services and extravagant worship. What, what, what's happening is that they're dying spiritually. So they had a lot physically, right? But they didn't have much spiritually. They were dying physically. And so he says, the great characteristic of Sardis was that even on pagan lips, Sardis was a name of contempt. So even the pagans would say, hey, don't go to that city, boy. It's a very, very luxurious, sinful city, right? Its people were notoriously loose living, notoriously pleasure and luxury loving. Sardis was a city of decadence. And this is by, by Barclay. Now, what's interesting is the 
the geography, actually the topology of the geography of this city in Sardis, it was built on a cliff. And because it was built on a cliff, and you think about, right, these walled cities built on a cliff, it was very, very um, secure because to actually overtake that city, they'd have to scale a cliff, which is very difficult. They can pick them up, pick them off with the archers, right? And so what's interesting, I want to read this comment too, because they thought they were very secure, but they weren't. They were actually, they were actually taken down twice, not only by the Medo-Persian Empire on their side, but also under the Grecian Empire. So let me, let me read this. He says, this softness, this lack of discipline and dedication was the doom of Sardis on a few different occasions. The Greek historian Herodotus tells the story of the fall of Sardis in days of Cyrus. This would be the Medo-Persian king, the first king Cyrus. King Cyrus had come to Sardis and found the position of the city ideally suited for defense. There seemed to be no way to scale the steep cliff walls that surrounded the city. He offered a rich reward to any soldier in his army who could figure out a way to get up to the city. One soldier studied the problem carefully. And as he looked, he saw a soldier defending Sardis drop his helmet down the cliff walls. He watched as the soldier climbed down a hidden trail to cover his helmet. He marked the location of the trail and led a detachment of troops up it that night. Once saved, always saved, right? I can do whatever I want to do. What did, what did Paul say? Hey, heaven forbid, right? So the city was easily conquered. Curiously, the same thing happened almost 200 years later when Antiochus attacked and conquered the overconfident. It gives a warning in verse 2, what? Be watchful. Be watchful. But the city of Sardis, not only weren't they watchful physically, and they were overtaken, but spiritually, right? We can see the context here, what it means. They spiritually weren't watchful, and so he warns them, you know? The church as well, right? You can have the church... A lot of them are walking and they're doing things. Like Israel, they were doing things. They're going to temple. They're practicing religion, but they were dead. And so the warning to Sardis is the same. You can be walking to church, practicing things, using a lot of the church jargon and the church lingo, right? You can carry a big Bible. You can even be preaching, right? But be dry, dry bones, because you're not what? You're not filled with the Spirit, right? And so I want to draw this to your attention, this warning right here in chapter 3, right? These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. What he's drawing their attention to is that you must what? You must be born again in the spirit. You must be what? Overflowing with the spirit. Now, let me take you back to when the church was birthed. When was the church birthed? Remember at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2? When the spirit comes upon the church. Very interesting. Notice right here, when it says in verse 3, his warning, Jesus says, Therefore, I will, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Notice the upon. And so it's kind of interesting, right? When you read this, how was the church birthed? How did the church become alive? It's when the Spirit came upon the church. Remember, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Wait. Wait until the Spirit comes upon you, then go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outer parts of the earth. As the Spirit comes upon you, right, that happened at Pentecost. And so the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. The church became alive when the Spirit came upon. That's interesting, right? He's warning them, unless you're watchful, the church is going to die, this church in Sardis, right? He's speaking specifically about the Holy Spirit. And notice he says that 
Therefore, if you don't repent, I'm going to come upon you. It's the same word, epi, upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And so the Spirit, he's going to come upon them, and he's going to separate them, right? They're going to die. Isn't that interesting to kind of take this into account? The church was birthed when the Spirit came upon them, right? The church will die when the Spirit, when, when the Lord comes upon them and, and removes that Spirit. The church will die. It's very interesting, right? It's kind of interesting to take that, that into account there. But the thing I want to draw to your attention is what gives life. You know, it's not the programs in the church. It's not the money in the church. It's not how big the building is. It's not how, you know, the things that we measure uh, church success by. It's whether the Spirit is working in the church. The, church, the Spirit is made alive. You know, I'm reminded by this, you know, way back in the day when, um, when I was going to Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, I was working with the youth group there, and it was interesting. Um, we took uh, the youth group there, um, uh, the youth pastor, I was helping the youth pastor out there, and we took the youth group there to a, a, a missions trip in the summertime, and they, we prepared all year for it, we saved money and all that kind of stuff, and we went to Croatia. Now, this was the time when there was a war there in Yugoslavia. I don't know if you remember that. This would be like in the early 1990s or so, like 1990 to 1993, way back. And it just so happened that I had moved to the Czech Republic and to do some missionary work. And so I left uh, Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, uh, but I was still keeping in contact with this youth group. And so the youth group came that summer, and I met them there in, um, in Yugoslavia or in, in Croatia. And it's interesting, there's a Calvary Chapel, Croatia there. Very poor church. I mean, you can imagine, right? Calvary Chapel, Croatia, and as the, the kids were there, as the high school was there, and I was over there, boy, that church was on fire, man. I, I can't even describe it. I'm thinking back just how on fire that church was. The thing is, that church was so poor. You know, matter of fact, you know, when we went there, they would divvy us up to stay at certain people's home, right, in the church there. And I remember the guy that I was, um, uh, I was staying, I got there a little late, so the guy that I was staying with, he was a single guy. And he had just come to know the Lord, right? And so anyway, uh, can you imagine a single guy in Croatia? So I went there, and boy, I think I was sleeping on like a little mat on the, on the floor there. And, and I got all bit up. You know, it was really hot there, right? There's no air conditioning. You're sweating, right? And I got bit up, and I'm kind of allergic to the I got all bit up. But, you know, praise be to God. You know, we went there, and things were on fire there. I remember doing an outreach there, and boy, just about maybe, um, I think there's about 100 Hundred teenagers come come to know the Lord. They're right in the square there, and they're all dressed in black. At that time, they were dressed in goth, and so we did skits and everything. We had testimonies, and they all started to come out. And there was about a hundred kids there that received the Lord. And the next day, they went to Calvary Chapel, Croatia. That thing was on fire, man. I, I can barely contain myself. But this church had nothing, very little monetarily. You know, and I remember that you know, I was just barely learning guitar, right? And so I, I had like maybe four or five songs, and so they asked me to lead worship there. And I said, "Okay, I'll try." You know, and I barely can play guitar and started singing. And so I started to sing these worship songs in English, and that Croatian church they started to worship those same songs in their language, and boy, that worship was just rumbling, man! It was just so on fire. And I think about it, right? They're on fire because that church was alive. They had nothing. They had nothing monetarily. They had nothing materially. 
And you know, matter of fact, the testimony, when you talk to every family there in that church in Croatia, everyone knew or had a family member that had died in the war. Because the war was going on just about maybe 30, 40 miles south of there. It's kind of interesting. But that place was on fire. Now, I think about that. That's what it means to be alive. And when you study this letter to the church in Sardis there, they had all the money, they had all the coins, they had all the accolades, they had a soft life, right? And um, they, were just, they were just dead. They were alive physically, it seemed, right? But they were dead spiritually. And so this is what I believe the Lord is underscoring to them. He reveals himself as one what? says he who has the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives life, not money, not your possessions, right? It's the Holy Spirit. And you can have little, you can have very, very little in this life, but be on fire and be rich. And I think this is the warning he's given to this church in Sardis. Now I want to take you some cross-references here. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. This language about the seven spirits of God, right? It's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice there as you turn to Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read this again. Seven comes up oftentimes, right? In Revelation, right? The seven lampstands or the seven churches, the seven stars are the seven angels or messengers, right? And we have uh, now the seven spirits and we have seven churches. Seven comes up often and seven is the number of completion. And so in the context here, I'm going to take you to two um, cross-references, uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and also uh, Zechariah chapter 4. It speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives life and it's a complete work. It's a complete life in the Spirit, right? And so in Isaiah chapter 11, Verse 2 is what we want to focus on, but I want to read from verse 1 because it gives a reference to Messiah. Just as we see Messiah, Jesus, right, in chapter 3 of uh, verse 1 of, of Revelation, these things says, he who has the seven spirit, who has the spirit, right? And so in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Who's that? That's Jesus. That's Messiah. Make no mistake about it. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then from him, right, he's going to have the Spirit. Notice it says, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord, that's one, shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom is two, and of understanding is three. The Spirit of counsel, four, and might, five. The Spirit of knowledge, six, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, seven. The complete work of the Holy Spirit. That's what gives life. And Jesus has that Spirit in his hand. And he has that to give to his church. That's what makes them alive. It's not how big of a church they have. It's not how ornate the church is. It's not how much money the church is. Right? It's, it's the Spirit. And Jesus has the Holy Spirit to give his church. Okay, That's what makes it a lie. And he's warning the church in Sardis, you bypass that. You've gone to all these other things that are visible, but it's the Spirit that gives life, and you're dying without it. Zechariah chapter 4, right at verse 1, let's read, okay? And this is a description of... The Holy Spirit. And I want you to know the lampstand. Right? We've seen that, right? The lampstands in Revelation, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The lampstand here is Israel. But the, um, uh, the sense is the same, right? The Spirit's going to work in Israel, and the Spirit's going to work and make alive the churches as well. Okay, so now verse 1, chapter 4. says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? 
And so I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand. The lampstand is Israel. Now we know that the seven lampstands in Revelation are the seven churches. But the principle is the same. Is Jesus, he works through his churches through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that makes a church alive. Okay? And he said to me, what do you see? I said, and so I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Notice the seven pipes to the seven lamps. The sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want you to get this picture. You have a candelabrum, a lampstand, right? And over that lampstand, you have this solid gold bowl, right? And the solid gold bowl has all this olive oil in it, and it's feeding the seven lamps of this lampstand. And the seven lamps, this lampstand has seven lights. Okay, so the picture is this. As you have these two olive trees on either side of the candelabrum, it's feeding, right, olive oil into this central bowl above the lampstand. And that bowl of olive oil is feeding all the different lamps of that lampstand, seven of them. And the olive oil is symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, right, is working through Israel, and it's going to work through Israel, and it's going to light Israel. It's the same picture we see in Revelation, only it's to the churches, okay? So it says, seven pipes of the seven lamps, two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at the left. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And so he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You see, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives life, people. That's why he says, not by might nor by power. Not by your might, not by your power, but it's by the Holy Spirit that he does the work, right? That he makes us alive. And that's the reference here, okay? So now as you turn back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, let's read verse 1 again. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, right? And Zechariah chapter, chapter 4, and the seven stars. The seven stars are the messengers, right? So the spirit works, right, through the church and through the messengers that's what gives life, people. Vibrant life, spiritual life. And notice he says, I know your works. Omniscient, right? That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And so he's describing the state of the church in Sardis. It's like, it's like the city of Sardis, right? Everything looks good on the outside, but they're dead spiritually. And that's the warning. Now notice it says, be watchful. Now, why do they need to be watchful? Because they need to wake up. That's literally what it means, wake up. And you think about the commentary I gave you from Barclay and Walvert on the city of Sardis, right? They were sleeping. All they said is, hey, we're built on a cliff. Hey, I'm saved. I'm good to go. But they weren't watchful. They were sleeping. And what happened? As a thief in the night, Cyrus came in and he took that city. Antiochus Epiphany, as a thief in the night. They didn't expect it. It didn't happen once. It happened twice. And isn't this what he says? Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. You see, 
They depended on the security of the topology there. You know, and they became very lax and very lazy. And they were defeated. You know, I think it's the same that can happen to us in our church. Very laxed. Oh, I'm saved. I can go ahead and do anything, right? There's no accountability. Once saved, always saved. Now, I believe once saved, always saved. I do believe that. Now, we're going to get into that, okay, a little bit. But so often people begin to say that, and when they begin to say that, right, they are not watchful. And because they're not watchful, that we see that spiritually they die. Maybe they're not even saved. That's why they're not watchful. Who knows? All I know is that I want to be watchful. Right? I don't want to just say, hey, I receive the Lord and then do whatever I want. I mean, Paul says, heaven forbid, right? To take advantage of the grace of God that way. And so he says to be watchful and strengthen. He says to wake up. And strengthen. This word strengthen, it literally means to, um, to make stable. Right? To make stable the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. This word perfect means complete, to make full. He who began a good work in you, right, wants to complete that work. So oftentimes, right, we come to the Lord, but we don't allow the Lord to finish the work. He says, I have not found your work complete. You're not watchful. Right? You're just depending on things that have happened before. So he says, I have not found your works watch, uh, perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, verse 3, hold fast and repent. Repent. Go another way. The way you're going is wrong. Go the Lord's way. Repent. Don't just confess it. <clears throat> Repent. Repent of it and go the Lord's way. Therefore, if you will not, and you will not, excuse me, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon, that's that word, a P. I will come upon you as a thief, and, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So it's interesting, just as Jesus said, <clears throat> wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outer parts Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now he says, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you. If you're not watching, basically being ready, if you don't wake up spiritually, right, I'm going to come upon you just as fast as he came upon the church. But this is going to be what? Come upon you for judgment. And you will not know what hour I come upon you. It's kind of an interesting twist, huh? Epi. How do you become alive? The Spirit comes upon you. How do you die? The Spirit is removed, right? You walk away from the Spirit. And the Lord comes upon you and judgment happens. Verse 4. You have a few names. I want you to notice a few names. It's interesting, right? If this is likened to the Reformed Church, the church that died, right? There's a few, right, in the Reformation that began what? To reform the church, as I mentioned, right? Martin Luther and you got all these reformists, right? Right there from 1453 to 1648. It says, you have a few names even in Sardis 
who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, what does that mean? I believe he's talking about he who repents, right? Truly repents and goes the way of the Lord. Now, you can kind of slice and dice this, right? He who repents, right, is the one that's chosen. But he who doesn't repent was never chosen. You know, you kind of play that game. But how do you know which one you are until the time comes? I mean, people give me that argument, but it doesn't do anything for anybody. Well, you know, God knows what he chose. So, which one are you? It's, right, it doesn't do anything for us. But let me, let me dissect this a little bit. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. What does blot out mean? It means erase. But let me give you the technical word, right? For those of you who are really into, you cannot walk away, you cannot be apostate. Let, let me give you exactly what this, is, um, what this means. I can find it in my notes. Okay, so... Blot out, it's exalifal, 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 can also be rendered to wipe out. From ek, ek, out, and alifal, to anoint. So the anointing is out. That's literally what it means. So if the anointing is out, what does that mean? Maybe it was in. I'm just giving you what, what, it, what it means, Okay. Hence, to wipe out, wipe off, or wash. To wipe it out. Now, how do you wipe out something that's not there? It must have been there to wipe it out. That, that's the logic, isn't it? It would seem, in the context of this letter to this church in this city, right, that they felt that they were secure, but they were not. And I believe the application is very, very stark for the church. There are many that would feel that they're secure, but they're not. Right? They've read the scriptures on eternal security and said, you know what? I'm secure. I can do whatever I want. And for them, I think this warning is for them. But there are those too, right? that really want to follow the Lord and they make mistakes and they wonder. For those, I would say you're eternally secure. Thanks again for joining us in our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Agua Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the Word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory.